podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. So, um, Jax, what's your earliest memory of somebody who was good at life? Wow. And well, you've you gone de- straight into the deep end there. No? It's like, yeah. Okay. And however you define that, by the way. <laughs> who's good at life? Who's, how do you define somebody who's good at life? What's the definition of somebody who's good at life? Is that somebody who you look at and go, wow, I wish I could be you or I wish you seem to have a good life? Because you only ever really see it from the point of view, the perspective that you see. You never really know what's going on because unless you're with that person... I don't know. I suppose it goes back to having sort of like what what your you know what your what your memories of from being a kid were and what you thought were cool and good and looking around and seeing people or listening to things and going, wow, they're really cool or yeah. you know this wow, what amazing kind of. It was quite weird because I think I think in in a way. Mark Boland from T-Rex in a weird way because I was like oh he's such a cool dude he looks amazing I loved his songs and he's friends with David Bowie he's got his own TV show (laughs) and then I see pictures of him in Rolls Royces and things like that and then weirdly enough I actually saw like a picture of him in a mini and I thought oh he's so down to earth it's like you know it's like we had a mini kind of thing you know everyone's got a mini he's he's just like yeah he's one of us kind of thing you know it's really weird you saw a thing like that and you know but the reality of the situation was completely different obviously because you know he tragically you know lost his life in 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 that car and um you know was it in that that, it was was in a mini was it i I think i'm pretty certain it was in a mini in barnes by that bridge where i used to i used to live in richmond so i used to drive past it and the tree where it was even in the 1990s would still have flowers and little there'd be a little memorial there for him and a shrine and stuff so i'm gonna go with him mark boland so that would have been the earliest memory of someone and you thought, wow, like, that's inspirational. That's a way to kind of be in your life or live your life. I think it – well, I would say to, to live my life. I mean, at that time, I was only about six. Sure. Five, six. I wouldn't say that, you know – I mean, if you're going to look at people who, like, ah, oh, they seem like they've got a good life, I suppose you kind of have to really get to the point where I'm in my teens or something – you know, from the point of view of like actually me knowing things about the world. When you're that young, you only see what's on the TV or yeah. you listen to something. And, you know, I suppose in a way you're more of a fanatic and more you get more engrossed in something when you're that young because that's all you know. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't know the world. You don't, you don't have your independence to judge things for yourselves. You just you just see what's on the TV and you just take it in from that. But I suppose in the, in, 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 in the, in the mid-80s and early 90s, I suppose, you know, I suppose early 80s really is where it's, you know, things started to, you start forming your own opinions and you gain your own independence and you like things for yourself rather than just seeing them on the TV. And I think at that point, weirdly enough, I'm going to say Africa Bambata. Really? Yeah, I'm going to say Africa Bambata because... I was a big fan of like electro, but I liked the fact that this guy, he had the Zulu Nation, which was bringing people together. Yeah. But he was he looked so cool. Yeah, totally. He looked like well, yeah. that's a rock god there. Yeah. But he's actually doing something where he's bringing people together. Yeah. And he's making great music, and and, and I you know I suppose that's how you kind of. They, those are the people that influence you. They're the people that, you know, it's not just a case of, oh, wow, Mark Boland, any he cool? He makes great music. Wow, brilliant. When you then start thinking about it later on when you're a bit older, it's like, oh, wow, this dude makes great music, looks really cool, doing things in the community, bringing yeah. loads of people together, you know, and it's just like, whoa, that's, you know, you start gaining that kind of like, I want to change the world mentality. Yeah, so yeah. for me... I'm going to go with Africa Bambata. So what was your situation at home from you looking out towards these people? Was your home life just very different to that? Was there similarities? Well, my my home life, I mean, my... I mean, I was born here, but my, you know, my family, you know, were immigrants as such, you know, so my elder brothers, my mum and dad came over. My, my dad came over in the late 60s, and then my mum came over a few years later and brought my brothers over, but I was the first one born here. Yeah. Out of my brothers, uh, I had three elder ones, and... Um, How old was the age difference? 
<laughs> okay, so was it like a couple well, of years? About or five like, years. Okay. About five not, years. Not yeah, many. yeah. So the difference between Enough. me and the next eldest is uh, five years exactly. Yeah. So you know they came. You know, my, so I was born here. So my brother would have been about, you know, would have been about five years old when you know when I was born, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, so uh, he would have come over here when he was very young. Yeah. Uh, I had two brothers older than that who would have been in there, sort of. Early teens, then you know, wow, yeah. you know. So I, my home life was, it was nice, it was good, you know. But was it, it suburban? Was, it was suburban. Yeah. yeah, you know, we were we were out in near Heathrow Airport, a place called West Straight, and yeah, oh uh, yeah, it, no, was, no. It, it was an East End kind of overspill as well. Yeah. So, so that whole area was, you know, quite. Um, and I went to school there as well, and it was, you know, it was nice. I had, you know, I had, a, I had an interesting childhood, and it was really cool. I, you know, there was, the, you know, in the seventies, there was quite a predominant kind of uh, national front, you know, kind of yeah. area as such. But I, I, I enjoyed growing up there. You know, it yeah, was yeah, nice. Yeah. It was cool. What drew, drew you to the music? Was it? Um, were you always just excited by music? Uh, yeah, I've always been just always by, responded. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's really weird because I you know like we were talking about T Rex and we were talking about Mark Boland, but you know my some of my other early memories was watching like Bollywood movies with my family yeah. sitting there with my mum and dad, and for me watching the Bollywood movies, you know, in in the seventies. Bollywood movies had one storyline, which is basically it starts off these kids would get separated or the parents would lose their kids and the entire film was just spent them trying to reunite with their kids and eventually at the end of the movie everybody comes together, they found their long-lost orphan children and that was the story for pretty much every Bollywood movie. So the stories didn't really interest me too much, but what did interest me was the sound of the music. So rich, if I'm thinking of Bollywood, well, it's quarter really, notes it, and things. It's incredibly, like, the sound was so powerful because it mm. was really distorted and driven. Yes. And I've actually, I've actually started working with Talvin Singh, who yeah. is an absolute genius, but we were talking about that, and he said the reason that that was like that was because in the late 60s, early 70s, they got all the equipment, but they thought that the way you were supposed to record was so that the red light was the overdriven light was on yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's how, that, when the red light was on, it's it taking made, in music. That's it. That's, that's when it sounded good. That's yeah. how it's supposed to be. And, and ironically, it, like, it is. <laughs> weirdly enough. And, and so that had a profound effect on me. So that whole overdriven, distorted, everything crunched up sound that they got. Yeah was what inspired me in yeah. later life to do everything that I did. Because for me, that was like, that was amazing sounding, just that yes. power in that. And even the voices of like Asha Balsin and Lata Mangeshka and, and, you know, all they were just incredible, piercing sound. The sound of Indian strings and violins yeah. and sarungis and stuff was like, it was like so distorted, but amazing. So that really had a profound effect on me on how I would make everything sound when I started making music. So is that in the background through the family, like on a, on a Sunday, you know, like a yeah, lazy yeah. Sundays and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So we would have, I, I think, you know, on Sundays they used to have some programme on the TV uh, and then, you know, they sometimes used to have Bollywood movies that we'd watch, sometimes go to the cinema, uh, you know, as a family sort of thing. And it all stems from that. So how does your um, view of a, a good life or a successful life or being good at it life change now if it's changed at all like if you look back now and think your definition of a, oh, what, a worth, what a good life is right okay yeah or a worthy life or satisfying um, to you see that's a really deep conversation we're back to that one again uh, I, suppose in a way, <laughs> I suppose in a way i suppose in a way the, a good life irrespective of what you do is to be happy i don't even you know you know the definition of success uh, to me isn't like huge amounts of wealth in the sense of money finance but i suppose in a way you know if, if, if you enjoy doing what you do and it's rewarding and it makes you feel good and you have a good time doing it that's success isn't it is that you then it, that's I, I kind of in a way i suppose in a way as well i think for me you know i've worked on stuff musically where it's not going to sell a huge amount and other things i've done have done right 
but I've done it because it's what I wanted to do because in years to come, that's kind of like your legacy, you know? Do you think of it like that? Yeah, I, I kind of do now. I never used to because to me, it's like I, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't give a fuck if it sounds <laughs> commercial or if it sells a lot. I just, you know, and the thing is that, uh, that all stems from working with Andy Weatherall. Yeah. You know, from being with Andrew, he does not compromise anything. He just does what exactly wants to do. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, he don't care less. Isn't that quite... I mean, I couldn't imagine someone getting caught up in... And it seems to me when you look at, like... I mean, I love musicians, and throughout my life I've consumed media, like Q Magazine and Melody Maker yeah. stuff. And, you, and then I've read, read biographies. Um, and it feels like some people get caught up in the commercial goal of it. Well... And they lose some of the heart or the, the real core enjoyment of well, it. You, what, what's happening now more... I mean, before it was fine. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I've earned fairly well out of it, you know. You know, I'm not rich, but I'm comfortable. And in the olden days, if you want to call it that, in the 90s, there was a lot of money going around. Sure. You know, you know, even when we was in the Aloof, when I was in the Aloof and Sabres of Paradise and we were going to get signed, I mean, the, the sums of money they were throwing at us, the record companies were like, oh, sign to us, we'll give you half a million, sign to us, we'll give you three quarters of a million, and sign to us, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's just... That must be tempting for a lot of people. Of course it's bloody tempting. They've lived in, you know... Of course it's tempting, and it's understandable, you know. Um, but now, the thing is, that those days of them big sums of money are gone, and I think the commercial pressure of something being successful now is far greater than it's ever been. Because the thing is, before, you know, if you were an indie band or an independent artist, you'd sell 25,000 albums, Yeah. you know? And 25,000 albums in them days is, well, you know, that's not great, but it's sustainable. It's a sustainable career. Sure. You know, if you're selling that kind of uh, albums, you could go on tour, you make money from gigs, you make money from sales, you make money from merchandise, and you could live. You could yeah. pay your rent and you could... And, 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 and then, as well as that, in them days, you'd had the big multi-million sellers and then you had the ones who sold nothing. But there was this big bit in the middle where you'd sell 20, 30,000 albums and it was... You could you could survive, yeah. you know. There's none of that now. There's either you sell millions, yeah, or you sell nothing. It's polarized, yeah. Yeah, there is nothing in between yeah. now. That it's it's you're selling absolutely fuck all, or you're selling shit loads, and there is nothing in the middle now. And the thing with that now is, for me, I think it's kind of put a massive. We have to get this right. We have to sell loads, or it's game over. Kind of mentality, which you never used to have before. You know? oh, but artistry seems to be like something that is a, a constant learning process, and you need like almost like no no bound. I mean, having a deadline is a good thing to get something completed, but yeah. having no boundaries in terms of you know the prescription of that sells right now. Let's do that type of high pitch, loads of echo, or let's do this type of beat. Yeah, like when I hear about that type of people talking about how they produce something and then you find there's seven writers. I'm like, where's the author kind of gone? Where's the person who just wants to do their own thing for their own endeavours? I, I mean, this is, this is the thing now. There is seven, eight, nine writers on a song now. One person will write the verse. One person will do the chorus. While somebody else will do the middle eight. Somebody else will do the music. And yeah. somebody else will do the beats. And so, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I don't really mind that. I don't mind that. But the problem with that is... That creates that scenario well of well, if you're selling X amount, you got to divide that up between a whole load of people rather than it just being the one person. So, so instead of it being sustainable for the one person, yeah, it's it's like that. Those seven people have to do seven of those gigs, yeah, in order to kind of balance it out against the one person just doing that one thing, you know. So it's 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 quite weird. It's kind of gone back to the days of Motown in a weird way, yeah. which is, you know, you write a song, but the song was written by songwriters. It was played by a bunch of musicians and then different singers by someone else. Yeah, yeah. And different singers would come yeah. in and do it. You know, like Marvin Gaye would do a song that, yeah. you know, that you know Diana Ross would do or the Supremes would do and you know, the Temptations would do the same version, the same song and then and then Barry Gordy or whatever would choose which yeah. one was the working best and that one was the one that came out, you yeah. know. So it was a factory. It really was a factory. And we've yeah. kind of gone back to it being a factory again, yeah. you know. It's a conveyor belt of like, right, okay, that's good. And, it, and, and the thing is now it's getting more 
analysed than it ever used to be. You know, I think it's now like the, with A and R and the way songs done. It's like, yeah, that's a great song. I really like the chorus, but I'm not sure about the verse. Okay, who can we get in to do the verse? Yeah, yeah. You know, nobody's listening to the music as a as a piece as a whole piece of music anymore. Everyone's now dissecting it and analysing it to the yeah. point where is this is is this is the best it can be. Yeah. And the problem with that is, and you'll find this as well, if being in the studios, when you start, you put a piece of music down, it's got an energy, it's got a vibe. But yeah. then when you go back to it and go, right, now I'm going to change that bit for this bit. Lost, now yeah. I'm going to start yeah, compressing yeah. that. Yeah. Now I'm going to edit that up and finally line it up to the grid. Now I'm going to change that sound layer. All of a sudden it, it loses something. Totally, you can yeah. never put your finger on it, yeah. but it loses something. Yeah. And it's kind of, we're at that point now where everything's so perfect. Yeah. Is anything actually really, really good? Well, I listen, I'm not going to pick on him in particular, but I listened to an Ed Sheeran song and it literally felt like a composite of seven different songs do you know what I mean like it moved through the the chorus sorry the, the verse pre-chorus chorus middle etc it's like these are all hooks from oh, I thought like other songs but yeah, uh, you know yeah. I know he used to be sued yeah, about no, some I, stuff I you, but do you know I what mean, I mean like I mean, it feels yeah, like it's no, layered no, with, you know no disrespect not to, to him yeah, in no particular disrespect to Ed or whatever but you know fair play to him to do what he's done you know weirdly enough I mean you know I've had this conversation with my daughter and you know my daughter's 23 and she's really cool musically you know she knows everything <laughs> she knew but I was saying to her how I, I really like the track the track that Ed Sheeran done with Justin Bieber, which like people which might be listening going, what the fuck? Was it a Justin Bieber song with him guesting? I don't know. It's oh. a song with the two of them. But it's, it is literally hook after hook yeah. after hook yeah. after hook. <laughs> and it's like, wow, fair play to you for doing it because it is brilliant <laughs> that you've managed to get so much, you know, draw people in and yeah. get that in. And, and, it, and it works really well. But, that thing of it being hook after hook after hook left me thinking, well, if you had a tune where it was good, but you went into this one massive hook, I'd probably remember that tune more yeah. because it's gone from something that was cool to having this one moment where it went bang yeah, and you get that euphoric boost or lift or whatever to then having this one tune where you're just constantly yeah. on a high. I think like Bon Jovi like, songs. Yeah, yeah. There was always that massive lift. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if I can remember a lot of the verses. <laughs> but you, you but this is the thing is, yeah. you know, that, that 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 those moments there, you know and this is the thing for me, it's like making music, you know, it should be a journey. That's right, yeah. It should be a journey. It, should it shouldn't be, be like you know, and uh, it shouldn't be like this thing where everybody's now like, "Oh, you got ten seconds to capture the audience's attention." How did you feel about that when you were you fuck were... bollocks? <laughs> I, I come from the I come from the days. I, well, I, I come from the I come from the school of thought of like music is a journey, right? And if you can't be asked to sit to listen to the first ten seconds of a song, then you fuck don't you. The last five then fuck minutes. you. Yeah. You know, I don't give a shit about you. You're an idiot, really. Yeah. <laughs> if you cannot listen, if you cannot spare ten seconds of your time to listen to you to yeah. something, yeah. if you cannot spare thirty seconds to see how it's gonna, you know, do. But people do listen to it. People do listen to things where nothing changes. You know, it's dance music. You go to a club, you don't want things to change. You want it to gradually build and build and build, and you take you on a journey or whatever and that's what you want so this there, there's this kind of dividing line that's happening in the world of music now where what people want on the radio or what radio think people want radio people want on oh, the radio right, yeah. uh, is different to what people want in the real world in festivals and at clubs and when they go dancing it's completely different yeah, yeah. you know and and so the thing is you, you've got this kind of thing where there's this fight going on to on the radio it's like you've got 10 seconds to capture somebody's attention but in a club if you do anything that changes anything on a tune in the first minute yeah you're going to lose their interest because sure. you're, you're putting too much in there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's this, you know, and I come from that side of where let it develop. I come from this, yeah. the, you know, just your stuff does build, move and let it just, it takes you on a journey. You know? I've got to ask you this question. You, you've just sparked sure. off so many questions in my head there. But um, when you're writing for that, you're clearly understanding how the audience are experiencing the music, right? Kind of. I mean, you must become writer, then listener. Yeah, well, no, as a producer, you have to do both. As a producer, you have to listen to a piece of music and go, right, okay, what are we doing here? Right, is this going to get on the radio? Right, so we've got three and a half minutes to make this banging. C cut down, 
the song to, you know, if it's a five-minute song, cut it down to three minutes, ten seconds, and make sure that it's, you know, it is literally hook after hook after hook after hook in order to get it on the radio. But for me, yeah. I prefer the five-minute version because yeah. it's a proper journey. Yeah, right. So you have to, it depends what hat I've got on. Well, that's in your songs. editor hat at the end, isn't it? Because you're then editing it down. But when yeah. you're in creation mode, um, do you... This is my question. Do you find that you overload it because you're interested in quickly and then you listen to it back and go, whoa, there's too many journeys? Or do you feel like you're always switching constantly between creator, listener, and able to build it? Is it just, do you have to pull back to minimalism or do you have to increase and add more post creation? You know, the thing is, as you know, you know, making a piece of music, there is no exact formula. Sure. You know, you, know, you, you, you come up with a risk on a synth or whatever yeah. it's like what do I put with that to build it and how far do you go do you layer that sound do you get another question and answer to it do yep. you, you know do you you know you know there's a whole load of ways of putting a song together and doing it but see the thing is you know radio songs are all well and good but they're not really journeys as such so for me when you're when, when I'm putting a song together now I have to have it's a different hat I have to put on for different occasions you know even you know like the five minute version of a song you know I know full well I'm gonna have to butcher that in order to get it down to three minutes. Yeah, like order. a script editor almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and once upon a time, we used to have to... We hated them people. You know, we hated the radio edit people. we do a five-minute song and we give it to them and we used to call them the butchers because they had to then get it down to three minutes to get it on the radio. And then you'd get it back and you'd just be like, you fucking ruined my song, man. <laughs> you, know? you know, and that's the thing. So, you, you know, you, you, I've learned over the years, it's like it's a different mindset from when you're trying to get something on the radio to something when you're playing it in a club to, to when you do your full-length version. So, Do you write for yourself initially? Does it always have to have your, your kind of the Jags... You know, spirit about well, people it. come to me because I have a sound, yeah. So I have to then put my stamp on a song depending on what it is they're looking to do. You know, like you know, if it's if it's a three minute, three and a half minute song, we have to get that done, you know. And if it's if it's a five minute song, then I'm, I'm left to actually just get on with it rather than having to worry about you know, you know. What what do we need? It, it depends on the song. It depends on the artist I'm working with. It depends on the song. It depends what the ultimate goal of it is as well. Is it going on an album? If it's on an album, right, leave it at five minutes. If it's got to get on the radio, right, we've got to look at this arrangement, get it more concise so we can have a shot of getting it on the radio. How about just when you write for yourself without any end dissemination in, in mind? I don't. Oh, Wow, I don't, I don't write for myself. Is that because you get, you get so, you're so busy with your? <coughs> no, I can't play anything. But you, I, no, you know, <laughs> you know no, even a dancer can't play anything. Play anything when I can't play anything, I tell you what it is. No, that's a lie. I'm just winding you up. So basically, <laughs> I, I, I have to put songs together with people, and. I really don't have a huge amount of time to just work on stuff for myself. Hmm. You know, like, you know, today I've got to do a mix for a song that's tomorrow uh, is going to be mastered in New York tomorrow evening, so I have to get it finished by 10 o'clock tomorrow night because at 5 o'clock in New York time it's being mastered. Jeez. But I've also got to do the recalls and edits, so I've got to get that done. Yeah. Um, I'm working with a band called Holy Youth Movement who are amazing and we're doing the epic full-length versions of the songs, but the band play everything, so I'm doing the production, I'm adding a few synths with the keyboard player and stuff. So Are you helping mix in the room as I'm well? I'm doing everything. Oh, the whole thing, right. Yeah, so we, you know, we, we, we're kind of putting it together, wow. then we take it back to my studio, get on adding additional parts, tweaking the sounds you know, drum replacement, all that kind of studio trickery that you have to do nowadays, adding, you know, extra arpeggiators or whatever and doing all of that. Sure. So, so I haven't actually made a song of my own, I'd say, for about 20 years. But is that you in your happiest time, what you described then, about all this stuff going on, deadlines to hit? Do you, do you kind of come alive to that? You have to. <laughs> if you want so, to get paid <laughs> so but was that natural for you have you have you kind of like developed it over the time over time do you know what it's really weird it's uh doing remixes and doing productions obviously you're gonna have deadlines because things have to be finished or mixing songs for people there's, there's there's always deadlines in what you're doing but i'm actually gonna start working with a guy called talvin singh so we we just starting to put we are actually writing so i am finally writing 
which I know you're going to look at all the remixes, like, you know, you mentioned the Kills and stuff. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and the Kills one was literally just keeping the bass line and the vocals and redoing everything else. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic build, uh, dem- you know, demonstrate if someone knows how to build tension and that, release. That's the journey. It's a that's great, great remix. So, you know, you know, and, and other remixes where I've literally just kept the vocals and I've just rebuilt an entire song underneath. Yeah, yeah. I know, that, you know, you call that writing... And that it is, kind of is. It, it is. is. It, it is writing. Absolutely and is. It is writing. But it's been done in a way where I had that initial spark. Yeah. Somebody gave me the idea and then I just ran with that idea. This is what I'm best at. Yeah. You know, I'm a finisher. I'm not really a starter. You know, I, you oh, know, I you love can just, that. You can just, you can just, you know, drop your phone and it makes a mad sound. If you give me that sound, I'll turn it into a song for you. You'll deliver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but I can't do that initial drop the phone to get a sound or whatever, the initial riff. Yeah. I can, but if I've done that riff, I don't know what to do with it. If you've done that riff and you give it to me, I'll know what to do to it. Yeah. It's a really weird one. But that's why I've been working with Talvin. So me and him are starting to put things together and we're just at that stage where we're just putting stuff together where we're going to start getting it going. So... It's an exciting phase, stroke, new way of working for me that I haven't done since the mid-90s. Interesting. Even though I've made loads of tunes and I've played the synths and drums and even done the bass and guitars on certain bits and bobs. Yeah. You know, I I, I normally get other people to do it because I can't play anything well at all. Um, But, you know, with the technology and everything and... You know, it's easy to do nowadays. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, I don't know this doesn't sound too much of a, a key change, but I think this is related to this conversation uh, in terms of producing, getting things delivered and done. Yeah. Does that help with um, kind of your mental health? If you're thinking of like in a year, the things that kind of keep you, you know, focused in the right area and happy. Uh, it, do you know does what it that does? Help? Yeah. It's, uh, um, I get bored if I'm sitting around doing nothing much yeah uh, not only do i get bored i get a bit down yeah uh you know devil makes work for idle hands as they say and it really does and so for me to be doing loads of stuff yeah it's uh, sometimes feels quite daunting but at the same time it's very exciting as well daunting in the sense of expectations yeah of expectations is this going to be all right are they going to like it sure. have i done the right thing did i go about it the right way you know, it was this what they were expecting? So you've got all of that. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time as that, you've also got that pressure of the deadlines. You've got the pressure of, like, you know, this has to be delivered by then, so you've got to get it done. Yeah. So that kind of mentality helps to kind of stop you from dawdling and yeah. analysing and choosing different options because you don't have the luxury of that time yeah so in a way you have to commit yourselves to things because this is the thing is nowadays as well with computers and with making music or with everything you know with the technology is you you have the options to change everything that's right you know you know you can record you know you can record a bass sound but because the amp or guitar sound, uh, you know, but because, you know, the amps are now virtual, they're in, the, you're, they're in your computer, yeah. you could change the sound of the guitars, sure. you know, constantly. Presets kind of you know, flipping. So when you've got all of these options, yeah. you never really totally commit yourself because you can think, well, I might need to change that later. Yeah. So, you, you know, you never really commit yourself. But the one thing that makes you commit yourself to certain things is the deadline. So yeah. like, by that five o'clock tomorrow night, you've got to get that shit finished. Yeah. So then it's like, right, okay, well, that, that sounds good enough. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And, and that's... so. so, so and often, that, do you find your instincts were kind of pretty well honed anyway? I think I've been doing it for <laughs> odd years now. I think I've kind of got the hang of it now as yeah. to what it should be. I mean, but the thing is, though, I, you know, I, 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 I always listen to songs and then I always think, oh, well, maybe I should have done something different. I've always done that on everything I've ever worked on. Do you mean completely holistic change parts or do you mean EQ? Oh, you know, yeah, you know, minor details in there or certain things and certain things. I'm not happy with the mix on certain things. It's a bit too noisy. Yeah, yeah. But I think think that's uh, that as as an artist, that's something that is fundamentally in you because if you. You're always editing. Yeah, well, if, if, if if you deliver a piece of music, go, that's perfect. That's amazing. Done then you might as well give up because yeah. there's no reason to carry on because if you've made that piece of music where everything's exactly how you wanted it, 
it's not I'm never going to get better so for me I'm always working on stuff going that was good but maybe I should have done I'll do, that yeah, yeah. yeah I'll do that a bit different next time or, yeah, and the thing is with music as well and with technology and studios equipment and stuff you know there, there, there's, there's, there's always something new yeah. there's, there's always something fresh that comes out there's always a new way of doing things there's a new yeah. bit of software or plug-in or there's equipment. lots of that yeah yeah so you, you know you're Listen always there's the always soul. there's always different ways and uh, new ways of doing things so so that's that that's that's always keeps that excitement level up of doing what you do you know would you was there ever a point on that because it sounds like there's like a like a journey in your songs there's obviously been a journey to your production and to your discovery of music and working with different people in different ways and that's evolving right yeah um it was there a time when you thought i'm just going to stop doing music and start doing fashion photography no quantity surveying no it's always that yeah And, and if you were like kept away from creating music for a couple of weeks what happens I don't know, really. I've never really thought about that before. I mean, the thing is, I can have times where I don't make any music. Yeah. You know, I can have times where I'm like, for a week, I'm not doing anything. Like, I don't want to do anything. But it's never been a case of, uh, you know, the thing is with creativity, it hits when it hits. Yeah. And and, and sometimes, you know, you get sent something. I mean, I get sent demos and I'm like listening to them and going, it's all right, it's nothing special, you know. Yeah. And then other times, you know, I'll listen to that same song and go, oh, wow. You know, it's your frame of mind that you're in when you listen to something as well. So, you know, that helps, you know, and varies. So if I'm not making music, I'm doing something related to it. Yeah. I.e. working out how to use a new plugin or a new bit of software or yeah. watching YouTube tutorials or <laughs> yeah, new said, bits of equipment. Shout out to Sonic State. Yeah, and shout Nick. out to yeah. Nick. Yeah. Bit of a dude there, you know, and uh, so... I suppose in a way, you know, regarding your question, if you listen to music and go, this is rubbish, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you don't want to watch YouTube to find out what's going on, if you're no interested in the new plugins that are coming in or working out how to do certain things or trying new things, then you've lost the interest in what you love and then yeah. it's time to move on to something else. Yeah. But for me, that's still there. I hope it continues for another 10, 15 years and I'm done then, really. Then I maybe put my feet up. Maybe I won't. Maybe I just carry on until the I day can't imagine, drop down. You know? I can, yeah, I can't imagine people putting their, their feet up. I, always, I try and understand that. Like, What was somebody in it, in it for in the first place to then say, I'm, I've, I've done like your point. I'm done. I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay with that now. Yeah. I think it feels like music has changed so much in terms of what, what would have got you into it and kept you in it, say, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, and now what it is for you know, young people you know, who are thinking about their careers and how much they consider music as a career. And, you know, first of all, more than ever, they either consider doing it alongside what they're already doing. Well, you have to nowadays. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, majority of people I'm working with, the bands that, you know, most of them are in day jobs as well. Yeah. You know, whether it's part-time you know, bar work or whatever, everybody's the same. Um, so it's it's hard to sustain that kind of career now, really. Yeah. But if it's something that you love, I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, certain bands, you know, they just, you know, they just, they, you know, they haven't really released new albums or whatever, but they'll go on tour because yeah. they love going on tour. Yeah. And it's great, you know, and it's, you know, they enjoy doing that. And there's other bands who don't really tour, but love making music and they'll be interested. You know, it's just kind of keeping that passion alive of what you love and yeah. what, 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 you, what, you, what you dig so that, you know, you, you don't have that moment of going, you know what, I don't enjoy this. I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah. if, it, you know, if you do get to that point, then stop, move want to someone else but I think you know this is the thing is you know if if you know like people who've got day jobs and they do music in the evening or in part time or whatever it's their passion and and in order to sustain their love of that passion they've got to be able to eat and pay their rent and so you do that other thing to keep that going so you know that's that's kind of where we're at at the moment, but I think it's going to be now where um, you know if you hit it big or you start working on stuff and it's doing really really well, then you know that's just going to further you know inspire you about what you're doing because it is yeah. your passion. That's what that that will make you even happier, and that's getting back to what we were saying as well. That's you know that's why I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing because I, I don't think I've ever had a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, they, have you had any jobs that before you went kind of like 
full time into music. Were yeah, there any? Yeah, I did. What were I had, they? I had a paper round when I was a kid. <laughs> Is that literally it? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm talking to you, not to flatter you, but you seem very kind of personable and kind of excited and happy in life. How much of kind of your relationships kind of brought to your career? Do you think? Has, has that been like relationships with other people in the industry or just generally? Has that been an important part of your success? Or when I say you success, meet friends along the way. Yeah, okay. of course. And you meet, you know... <coughs> you make well, them, right? Sorry? You're, you're making friends along the way with yeah, the completely. people you meet, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you know, you'll hang out with people who are like-minded. You'll hang out with people who dig what you dig. Yeah. You'll hang out with people who appreciate the same things that you do, yeah. you know? So if you do that and you're working in music like I am, you yeah. meet people who like what you do and you like what they do and you both like the similar things, yeah. you'll meet a lot of them because everyone's passionate or a lot of people are passionate about being involved in music and stuff. Um, so I've, I've made some great friends along the way who've stayed with me forever. You know, yeah. Since then, you know, I've, you know, I've, you know, certain people in certain bands who, you know, uh, you know I've been on tour with them or, uh, you know, we did a remix for them and yeah. we met up and it's yeah. like, oh, I love that. And then we just stayed friends ever yeah, since. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's, uh, uh, you know, my my career-wise, you know, sort of, sorry, everything that I've done in my career has led to me picking up all the friends along the way, really. So know? what about people that you've met? So I'll give you an example. So... Um, in like 2006, I did like a, a, a live show for some of the music I'd done in my bedroom and I got a call from Stuart Whiffin mm -hmm. and um, he said, do you want to do this again? And I was like, not really, but we, I started doing some DJing for him at the Queen of Hoxton. Yeah. Blah, blah. So um, I just did like when I was like a, a tourist DJ, just did one day a month or a couple of days a month. Yeah. But meeting Stuart was like a, a door that kind of opened into, I met a lot of other people through him and he was very much um, an enthusiast of the industry and everything. Yeah. And uh, you can kind of chart your meetings with certain people and mm. they've been really good for your life and, you know, your career, whatever you want to say. Who are those people for you that have kind of just, it could have been an immediate door open or it could have been a gradual trickle of good vibes. <laughs> uh, well, well, I mean, I suppose one of the main people I will list there is Andrew Innes from Primal Scream. He's, uh, we obviously, uh, we worked together years ago. I used to work with Andy Weatherall, so we did some mixes for The Scream and then I was in a band called Sabres of Paradise and yeah. The Scream asked us to support them, which was a legendary tour. And we've been friends ever since. I mean, actually, like, I'm godfather to one of his daughters now and, you know, we speak sort of two, three times a week and, yes, it's just... The thing is, as well, you, you meet these people and they're great people. They're amazing people to know but they are so knowledgeable yeah. and they are so clued up and they're so talented that you're kind of a little bit in awe. It's like, oh, God, you're so damn cool, you know. But <laughs> at the same time, you're also your friends as well, you know. So, so you know, so, uh, yeah, I think Andrew's like one of them sort of guys where, you know. And shares knowledge easily. Shares yeah, yeah. as in freely. Yeah, something. yeah, totally. I like people like that. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing is, I, and I'm the same. Yeah. You know, I, you know I, I will tell people how I do shit. I will tell yeah, them what yeah, simps yeah. I used on certain things. I'll tell them how things were mic'd up or what preamps were used and how we did the drums on things. I, I will share everything. It doesn't, you know, it, I'm not like, oh, no, that's my signature sound. I can't tell you how I did that, you know. I, yeah. I, that's the thing is with music, if you share the music you've got to share how it was done you've got to share the stories you've got to share yeah. the love really yeah it, it makes the whole community richer yeah when you do like you, you you say you know you consume stuff through youtube and there's a number of um you know people who put out i hate the word content but you know, put out great stuff and videos and mm. things and one of my favorite things is learning how someone either put a song together yeah um seeing their studio where they spend a lot of their time and you know and I'm kind of walking through it, and I'm a bit of a kind of a gear yeah. nut as well. Um, but I love I love using it, and if I'm not using it, I'll recycle it, either sell it or give it to a friend. I've been mean, yeah. loaned loan so many synths out recently. <clears throat> yeah, you know. But um, I think that's that's true. That seems to be different because if you think about how things change in terms of 
you know, our favourite artists can tweet what they're thinking. And yeah. Suddenly you look into somebody and go, I don't know if I even like you. Like, you know, you're talking about absolute rubbish or you're getting all upset about something that you should be so much happier than this. You know, sometimes you see, that, I'm not going to name any names, but you see kind of people who you would have held up in esteem for their art and then you look at how they conduct themselves as a human being and you're, yeah. well, it's less than good. <clears throat> well, that, that, that's one of those things at the moment is like, you know, you, you know, don't ask me to be your hero because I'll only let you down. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to name any names, but, like, you know, there's certain bands in the 70s and 80s and who are still, as bands, they are iconic and I love them, but as people, they weren't very nice. No. And there's people now who are like that. And and so you have to kind of separate it, yeah. I find. I have yeah. to find, you know. It's yes, like, you I know, do. It's like, you know, these people who are in these bands, they're not your mates. No. You don't know them. No. You don't, you don't go around their house, <laughs> hang out with them. You just dig their music. Yeah. You know, so why all of a sudden should you stop liking their music? You're not looking at it, their music as like a representation of you because you like their music all of a sudden. You, 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 know, you like that person. No, it's not that case at all. You like their music and that's it. And the person might be an absolute pain or a horrible, nasty person. But mm, I'm, I'm not going to stop listening to their music. And, and I, I agree, but just playing devil's advocate for a moment, there on. is a bit of a um, there is a bit of a, a confluence between their music and their image. Yeah, because right? in the seventies and the eighties, it was very image focused. Yeah, from you know in the eighties, yeah, music the videos yeah, 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 and all yeah, this kind yeah. of stuff. So it told you a narrative of mm-hmm. the individuals, yeah. and they were dressed up and they acted in a certain way. Yeah, like you know ABC Look of Love. Yeah. I remember that video being. Whoa, yeah. like they look so cool and yeah. so yeah. just fantastic. And the, their taste is my taste. Mm. When you identify with, with a person as their t- beyond Jags's music, mm. I always thought this guy really, you know, he's going to like LCD Sound System, some of those Australian bands on the modular label. Yep. You know, he's going to like that type of fusion of indie and dance crossover. Yeah. And I, he's probably a nice guy, right? and I assume that. And this, I couldn't find hardly anything out about you in terms of because you're quite outside of the yeah. yeah no, in terms I don't, of I don't, marketing. Apart from, see, the thing is, it's like I, I don't tweet too much. I post stuff on Instagram every now and again, uh, quite often now, and I'm starting to do more and more of it. But the problem is, it's like what I'm doing is I'm I'm actually putting out to the world what I want to put out to them. Right, okay, right? yeah. I'm not putting out all of my thoughts because I don't have time to have arguments with people, <laughs> you know. You know, the thing is, you know, I mean, I could, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, you know, like obviously the hot topic is Brexit, you know. <laughs> you How know? did you get that into this conversation? You know, and it's like, right, and if I tweet, fuck Brexit, you're all <laughs> fucking a bunch of idiots voting for it, you know full well I'm not going to be able to do any work today because yeah. I'll have to just be on Twitter and yeah. wherever going, defending my argument against somebody defending theirs. Yeah. And so the problem with that is I don't really want to get involved in that. But I know lots of my friends are like, you know, you know, I, I know like Reverend and the Makers, John Reverend, is just like, fuck Brexit, you know, if you vote yeah, yeah. for it, blah, blah, blah. And fair play to him because he, he will, he's, he, he'll, he'll deal with that. I can't, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm like, oh no, I've offended somebody now. I don't really want to. So the thing is, for me, I'm just like, I'm, I'm putting out an image of myself, which is true, which mm. is what I'm about. You yeah. know, I'll post pictures of my dogs or what, my dog or whatever and I'll, the studio or some mad sunset or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But I don't want to get too political. I don't want to start talking about songs that I find shit or artists that I don't like. Yeah. I don't want to project any negativity because then that feeds negativity back to you. It really right? does, yeah. yeah. So, so for me, I, I just try and keep it on the level. I mean, if I wanted to... Me and you sitting here or in a pub, well, let's talk about Brexit. Let's talk about the state of the world. Let's talk about the inequality. Let's talk about anything. Yeah. But I don't want to get into that with the entire internet. <laughs> That's a really mindful way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I agree. And so I, I... Would you see people making these mistakes around you? And do you have like a conversation with people? Oh, no, listen, saying, it's, it's, they're, it's not your... they're, not, they're not mistakes. They're no. not mistakes. They're not mistakes, right? So when people are talking about that sort of stuff, they're not, it's not mistakes. It's they want that engagement. They want people to come back going, no, you're wrong. You're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. They want that engagement. They want to interact with people. I'm a backroom boy. I'm, uh, I hide away in studios. Like you just said, you know, you, you couldn't find much about me. You didn't uh. know much about what I'm 
like or anything because no. I don't I don't have that out there because I am one of the backroom boys, which is basically we're the bods who hide in studios, do shit. Somebody else can deal with the PR stroke the public front of house persona of things yeah i'm just hiding in the background so that's what i'm about so that's what i portray whereas you're the artist you know yeah fuck brexit talk about that sure. talk about the inequality people will interact you want that interaction you want people to you know engage with you in, in what you're doing so but for me i, I ain't got time for that <laughs> it's just you know i have the same viewpoints but i don't have time for that interaction and because i need to be focused on what i'm doing in the studio i don't need distractions and this is the thing with like being in the studio i don't tweet when i'm in the studio i don't instagram when i'm in the studio because i then don't want to be looking at my phone going oh wow there's that person's commented on that or i hit somebody's hit like on one of my posts because i need to be focused on what i'm doing in the studio yeah. rather than looking at my phone yeah I think it's really interesting you say all of this. Um, I remember growing up and looking at people who were remixes that I rated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's easy. And when I did a bit of DJing, I hung out with some people who were also trying to make, make it inverted commas in music, right? Yeah. It was often the attitude of oh, what have they done right in their career to enable them to have that gig or get that type of success platform or whatever it is. And, in my kind of you know, normal job, the more I, the people I like working with are those who are just all about the work, are uncomplicated in the sense that they don't want to dwell on negativity or yeah. things aren't pushing the agenda forward. And the more I've got to know people in the music industry, the more I realise that there's really no difference there at all. Like yeah. if someone's actually good at their job, it's it's it's, it's universal. Yeah, it's universal. And right, so I'm going to do a project. I'm going to work on a song or I'm going to do a remix or I'm going to produce an album or whatever. And so I will do a huge amount of homework. Yeah. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this sound? Where are we going to record it? What's the equipment we're going to use? What's the vibe we're going for? What's yeah. the arrangement got to be? You know, how's everyone going to perform? How am I going to get the best out of people to do this? Yeah. And then... I go, right, what if what if some shit hits the fan? So I start making plan Bs in Brilliant. my head. Contingencies. Contingencies, which, you know. And so the thing is, you basically, your head then is filled and complete, you are completely absorbed by that thing that you've got to do. Yeah. So anything to do with a mobile phone or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the fuck else you want to look at, Facebook. Yeah. That's a distraction. Sure. I don't, I don't need that. I don't, yeah. I, I don't need to be focusing on that. I don't, I don't want to be distracted by that. Um, so, so, so when, you know, and you, you know when you meet, especially you, you will know when you meet people like that. You know when, if you ask for something to be done and you come across people and shit gets done, Sure. You know, you're just like, yeah, well, right, you know what you're doing and it's bang, 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 bang. That relationship is just, you just want to work with somebody. You want people around you like that, really. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know the blaggers. Yeah. You you know the blaggers. You know, right, okay, you're just chancing it. You might get lucky, but next time you might not get lucky. So you know that. So the thing is, you know... uh, you, you you then surround yourself with those people. Yeah. You, you you know the ones who are doing it and getting results by the fact that they absorb themselves in that project or or whatever that needs to be done. So for me, I, I, I'm I'm one of those. I'm one of those. It's yeah. it's you know because uh, it's your passion. Yeah. Because uh, it's my passion, I, I'm like right. I've got to give this 110. Yeah. percent It's you know I, I I won't be happy unless everybody's happy, and I won't be happy unless I put everything into it that I need to put into it. That's fantastic. So, um, has it become easier over like every five, ten years as you get? They say the 10,000 hour rule. Have you come across this? Yes, yeah, a load of bollocks. Well, I mean, that equates roughly, I thought, in my spare time to about 10 years. If you do a day job, that's a 10-year... That's a yeah, no, you see, the thing is, the 10,000-hour the 10, rule... See, the thing is, there is no... Quantifiable the, thing. Yeah, there yeah. is no, you know, after 9,999 oh, hours... But it's a guideline, right? Yeah, it's a guideline. Yeah. So, but the thing is, it's, it's gaining the knowledge... Yeah. ...constantly. Yeah. You, you do something and you learn from By that doing to it, know... Yeah not to do that next time or do it this way because it was easier doing yeah. it by a- applying this technique or method or whatever. So you learn all that as you're going along. Yeah. But as you know, with music or anything else, it's like technology 
dictates that things will change. Certain things need yeah. to be implemented and done in a different way because, A, I'm no longer recording to a tape machine. You know, the thing is, you know, if you're recording to a tape machine, and these are the different things that happen in, you know, if you're recording to a tape machine, when you recorded a song, you then have to hit rewind. So you've got to wait two minutes. Have a book handy. Yeah, you've got to wait two minutes for it to rewind. You would reset your head. You'd listen to it again, and then you hear it objectively. Yeah, Whereas that's now, a good point. you get to the end of a song, to rewind it takes a tenth of a second. That's right. That's a really good point about clearing your head. Yeah. My wife walks into my studio and goes, do you need a little break? And I'll be like, no, I'm fine. I've been like four hours straight, dry mouth. Yeah. It's gone dark. The lights haven't come on come in my on little... Yeah, you're sitting there <laughs> looking at a screen and then when you turn away, it's like everything's... Everything's like, yeah, glowing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. So uh, the, the, the 10,000 hour rule, I kind of... Uh, I kind of... Yeah, I like the theory behind it, but the reality is, is it's a it's a twenty thousand, it's a hundred thousand. Yeah, it's a never ending. It's a never ending. <laughs> yeah, because cause that's inspirational. Yeah, because but the thing is, you know, it could be it could be. It could, see, the thing is, I I'm not a classically well. One thing, I'm not a traditionally trained engineer producer. I didn't do the whole path of going to college to learn how to do it to then become an assistant in a big studio making tea and then moving up to being the tape. Operator, yeah. then Observing being an engineer, a great doing it then ahead being of a you. producer. Yeah. Yeah. I just sat in my bedroom with a drum machine and a and a, and a synthesizer uh, and uh, turntables and made it up as I went along. That's so good, though. You know, so so so, so that so that ten thousand hour rule. You know, maybe you got it. Well, surely that that is you then. You just you just threw yourself at it, and by attrition, you gradually carved out. Yeah, well. Confidence and sound, it is an iterative process. Well, I, no, I could, well, yeah, in a way, but I actually got thrown in the deep end because what I did was I, I you know, I, and, and this is uh, something that I talked with Stu about, ages, Stu Whiffham, for his Off the Beaten Track podcast. We were talking about how I got into music, and I got into music because I used to be out of DJ, yeah, and then from DJ, vinyls. And I, yeah, vinyl, and I yeah. was cutting up record, yeah, and I was cutting them up backwards and forwards to loop up a section of a song sure. and recording it onto a tape, and I was like, "That's a lot of work." And then, <laughs> so then I got a little sampler that you can, you know, put a drum machine and a sampler, so you could actually do that for you and Brilliant. toughen up the beats. And then bought a tape machine that I could record it onto an eight-track tape machine, and then bought a reverb unit to add a bit more oomph to the beats. And so I, it was a gradual building process so i did that and then one of the first songs i actually did was a bootleg and the bootleg was one of the boys own andy weatherall played it was one of the big tunes of the boys own weekenders and then so that was that that did that and then i did another tune uh and that did really well this is only two songs in and on, on, on at the end of the second song i went to flying which was a club in Soho Theatre Club, which was uh, I used to go to, and uh, I was making a few things at that time, and met Andy Weatherall. And Andy's like, "Oh, you're Jags." And How'd I'm you in. meet him? Well, he was just DJing in Soho Theatre Club. And, and you just wandered up. And said, no, hey, man. no, I was I was standing. Are you at the bar? No, I was standing in the sort of bar area, yeah. and he sort of came over, and when you're Jags, in you, and I went, "Yeah," oh, and he went, "I'm Andy Weatherall," your... and I went. Yeah, I fucking know who yeah. you are, mate. <laughs> and uh, and he went, oh, I love what you do. And I went, this is really bizarre. I was like, yeah, I love what you do. Yeah. Because uh, he'd done a lot more than me. You know, this is after Scream Delica and like people yeah. are literally falling over sure. themselves because it's weather. It's still a classic now, right? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, Stu said it to me the other day. Yeah. She was like, I saw Andy Weatherall coming out of like the <laughs> station in Shoreditch. And I was like, I wanted to go and say hello to him, but I just got too scared and embarrassed. I did. So I was like, all right, fair enough. Um, but, um, but then he was like, what, do you want to come and work with me in the studio? I was like, uh, yeah, okay. And then uh, he was like, look, I'm doing a remix for Sinead O'Connor with Jar Wobble, yeah. a tune called Vision of You. Would you want to come in the studio and work with me? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we then went to work our studio down the old Kent Road and <laughs> I went into this room. There's a big SSL desk. I've oh. never worked on an SSL desk in my life, so I didn't know. So, and so that was the baptism of fire. We had a straight into the deep end. And so we did that, and that was the how many different tra- tra- how, many, how many different um, channels were you tracking at the same time? That was about 48 tracks, desk in there. So we, we had to do it. We did it all in the computer as well. So we were putting it all together, but that was, that was it. And then we just kind of 
built it up from there. Yeah, and I yeah. was just learning as I was going along. Yeah. And 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 luckily in them days you had assistants and you had. Uh, you know, people who could do bits for you. So I had, you know, I was like, I was engineering it and mixing it, but I had people patching stuff in and I was like, oh, you know. So, it, you know, it was, it was Did you feel like an imposter? Completely. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bedroom DJ stroke bedroom producer just working, doing stuff with drum machines and synchronising and step sequencing and programming. What drum machine were you using at the trust? At the time, we had, uh, we had a 909. We had a Casio RZ10, RZ1, I think they were, which is like one and a half second sampling time. And we used to use it for our live set, me and this guy, Richie, but we could manage to get pump up there. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't get volume on there. Pump up the bottle. I'm sorry, mate. I've run out of sampling time. I can't tell you what you can pump up. So, so or you we, should have just gone to the audience. Gone, <laughs> you know in. the rest. Uh, yeah. Um, so, 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 so we had one of those. We had a 303 because I knew, you know. And then, do you we, still have one? Yeah, I still still got one. Yeah, and do you uh, have the um? Uh, is it the uh, fish? Not the devil fish. Devil fish. It's the original ones, just one of the original ones, and um, we had an an Akai nine. I think I just bought an Akai nine fifty sampler. Yeah, and that's what. Big old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we were sampling into, and so that that was after I. Because I was like, I can't just have pump up there. I've got to <laughs> sample a bit longer than that. I've got to continue the story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I did that, and that was, the, you know, and that's that. So that, so I knew how to do that because yeah. we were, and this was when sampling was first starting to happen when sure. you were looping, and nobody knew how to loop up stuff. They just put it in a loop in this, or, and when you hold a key down, but that would drift out of time. So I knew how to re-trigger MIDI and stuff with a yes. real simple software called MIDI Drummer and stuff and with an oh. Atari. So we knew Atari how, ST was yeah. it? Yeah. Brilliant. That's what I started on. So we were doing that. Oh, nice. And that's how we put everything together. And so we were still doing that when we went into the big posh studios, yeah. but we had a big desk to separate it all onto rather than mix it within the sampler sort of thing. So were you thinking, mate, um, this is gonna. This is great, but this will probably end in a week or something, and then I'll just go back to my normal thing. Or was there a part of you that thought, if I continue making myself useful, I might be able to, you know, keep hanging around and working with these people? Well, no, no there was no. It just naturally happened. Did I you not think I, about I, I, it? No, I didn't think. What am I going to do? How am I going to earn a living? What's going on? We were kind of surviving, you know, at the time, and then because I literally met Weatherall three songs on in my career, into my career. And then we went in the studio and we did a remix and I got paid two, three, four hundred quid for it or whatever. It was like, okay, this is good. That's quite that's really quite good, right? For the the, the year. Yeah. That's been yeah. amazing. Oh no, listen, we we then went on and then after doing that I Andrew was like, This is great, let's do more and we just got on a roll and we yeah. then I was in working five days a week yeah. in a studio in you know, all over the place, you yeah. know, for like, we did it for about a year and a half, nearly two years. And then after that, we got our own studio. Rather than renting studios, we got our own studio and just filled it with our own equipment because saved us £3,000 a month. Sort yeah, of totally. You know, when you've yeah. got your own room, you just got to hire yeah. the room and fill it with your equipment. It's a grand a month or whatever. I went the opposite way around. I just started building a studio and then people were, I'd went, I went to record in a proper studio, um, which one it was but I went in there they had like crappy stuff I was like I thought you're gonna have loads of it but obviously what they did have was a whole bunch of Neumann mics and blah yeah. blah, blah and I was like, oh okay you're spending your money on this but I was like I'm actually I'm better off at home yeah rather than thinking magic is done in the studio it's really not yeah I, I mean did, good stuff happens obviously yeah, no, but I mean of course you, this is the thing the thing is, with different studios, it's, it's, they're, they're set for different things. Like yeah. if you're if you're a band and you got a you know you got a you know you got to set up a drum kit and you have got your guitar amps, totally. the bass amp, and the singer, and yeah. there's a keyboard player, and it's all going to be put down live. That's right. And bang, then you got to go to one of their big post studios because yeah. they've got the mics, they've got the pre's, and they've got everything yeah. ready to go. And bang, yeah. bang, bang. If you're like a synth whiz and you're just sitting in your room programming up loads of stuff. Those places are kind of pointless. Yeah, you know. So, 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 it, so, so, we were kind of that. We were the latter. You went into that. Synth, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were the yeah. synth 
you know, studio with drum machines. And we had a room probably just a bit bigger than this one here. Yeah. And it was just wall-to-wall synthesizers Brilliant. and effects units on two sides. The other side had a desk and set of speakers. And the three of us would, you know, me, Gary and Andrew Weatherall would sit in there uh, and just... Right. Spend five days a week, and 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 you know this. Was, I was in my twenties as well then, and when you know when, when you're a bit younger, you've got the energy to burn, and you you know yeah. you start at midday and you carry on till two in the morning, totally. and you carry on, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so, 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 so it was great. That's so, amazing. So so you know, and but then other times. If I'm recording a band, yeah. I do have to go to those big posh studios with the mic priest and the big desk and all this big room and it's all, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. need that to do that. You know, it's, yes. it's a different... So yeah, tools for different jobs. Tool, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it works Mate, out. We've gone um, over the uh, one hour mark and there's a couple of key questions I, I sure. normally ask. So it's going to be a key change, but I am interested and I think I know what the answer is going to be, not to be too presumptuous because you're, you're so about creation and work and just getting on with it and not overthinking things yeah. i get that strong sentiment from you yeah. you don't overthink stuff um but what's your relationship with death like oh, i'm totally comfortable with it yeah yeah when it comes it comes yeah I, you know what the thing is it's a really weird thing to say but you know you've got to look at every day you don't you don't think ah oh, today i survived it you just it just naturally happens but when you See, the thing is, I've lost friends along the way who've been in bands and who've passed away tragically young and stuff. Um, and so, you know, and, and you know, you go to a funeral, you go to a wake or whatever, and you, you, you have those moments where you sit there and kind of go, you know, I have to treasure every moment. Sure. I have to look at every day as, like, I'm thankful to be here. And I am. And I am. Yeah. You don't think about it in your head every day. It's just one of those things where it's like it happens and... And, and uh, you know, you get through the day and it's a good day or it's a bad day or whatever, but, you, 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 you know, you don't really think about it, but in your back of mind, you're like, well, I'm thankful I'm still here and I'm doing what I love and it's great fun. But I'm totally comfortable with death. Yeah. When it comes, I'm all right. I don't really... I'm not like gonna be like, oh shit, no, I've got loads more to do. Yeah, I want to, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared of it. No, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not any one religion as such. My family is Sikh. You know, yeah. my my missus is a Buddhist. I had a Christian upbringing from sure. school, sure. so I kind of dig all of them. Yeah. Know? You know, and they all got good things to say. There's some great messages in There's there. There's some great messages. All of them had great messages. Yeah. And so the thing for me is like, well. You know what? You know, I'm not going to then get to when I'm in my mid sixties and start panicking and going to church every Sunday because I'm going to be like, oh fuck, I've got to get myself prepared to make myself accessible to the to the gates <laughs> of heaven. Do you know? So you know, and so I'm I'm I'm, I'm fine. I've I've had this outlook anyway for quite a while now, which is like I'm at peace with myself. I'm comfortable with everything, and I've lived my life in a way where hopefully, when the time comes, I'm you know I'll be accepted in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> so you're definitely covering, hedging your bets on where that might be. You know what? I just try and be a nice person, and mm. I just try and do what I enjoy doing and, and stay happy. And I think, well, where, real quick, where'd you get that from, though? Where'd you learn that? And what, was there a changing point, or you always have, have kind of roughly been like that? Do you think? Have people told you? I that? think you know what? I just got lucky. Yeah, I got lucky because I. Kind of not, I've not had an overly stressful life. I've, you know. You know, my daughter is amazing and she's never gave me any grief. I think we've had like three arguments in the entire time. She's, you know, in the last really 23 good. years. Yeah. Uh, and she's brilliant. And then me and my missus, we get on really well. And uh, I've got great friends around me. I don't have an overly stressful job. And anything that I do have that's pressure related is a good pressure. Yeah. You know? I know exactly what you mean. It's, and it's it, how you look at pressure. It's how you look at stress and pressure. It, it completely does. You know. And people who say I've had a lucky life, I've had an easy kind of, or, or, good, or a good life and it's not been too stressful. I, I am interested in ha that person's outlook because that will, you know, I think, you know, I think things, it's difficult things can also happen to you. Oh, and no, listen. I, I, no, you deal I'm, with them you know, in a my, good my way. My dad passed away last year uh, and, uh, you know, he'd, he, he, he basically retired at the age of like 45 and he just really? spent his entire time just getting... Having a good time and drinking, and you know, you, 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 which is great, 
Which is, that's what, so what you, you know, it's like, and it, you know, my family, you see, they're Indian men are renowned for drinking a load of alcohol. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's great if you want to do that, but yeah. you know, there's consequences. So you've got to balance yeah. everything out. You know, yeah. you can't have anything in excess. You've got to, you know, you've got to live your life well. And, and I think it's planning. Yeah. I think it's planning. It's like, right, okay. You know, because I used to run, uh, you know, I used to run an area at Glastonbury and it was like, uh, you know, that can be, you know, if you're a proper warrior, that can be a stress. Completely. You know, like DJs missing their flights and you've got to then organise getting people coming over from Paris and getting them picked up at Bristol Airport and shit breaks down at venues or whatever, you know. So you, you could either go, ah, or yeah. you go, you know what? This isn't that bad, you know. This isn't like the planes crashed and my DJs have died and the whole thing's fallen apart. This is just somebody who's stranded there. We can get them over it. This is not a problem. Yeah. Think about it logically. Think about it without getting stressed out. It's cool. Of course, everyone gets stressed out. But if you start planning and things and, and thinking about it so that you don't have this thing where it's like all shit breaks loose. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you're managing your expectations with planning yeah, a lot. Yeah. And, that helps and, and, and the thing stress. with as well, if you plan for shit hitting the fan totally. and it doesn't happen... It's, it's a stress-free day, wasn't you're it? You're up. You're up. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending some time with us. No problem, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. It's good. I love these kind of things. You know, it's good. Oh, I'm pleased you did because with when I'm talking to a musician or someone in the arts, I'm very susceptible just to go down a rabbit hole of talking about synthesizers and drum machines. Oh, you, we could have been... We could, we, well, I was kind of expecting you to start asking about CV and MIDI and CV gates. gates. And <laughs> and stuff, and I was just like, well, do you know what? I don't mind if I do that, but this was... A way more interesting conversation, definitely. That's so kind. Thank you so much, Jags. Pleasure. Cheers.